0: open up the Word. We'll be in 1 John chapter 5. We're doing uh, verses 1 through 5 today. Uh, moving through to the end of 1 John, getting close to the end. Uh, and we're talking about, as Pastor Reeve said, victory today. Man, there's just days when you feel like, you know what, I need a win. Like, you know, the days when your mic doesn't go out. <laughs> Let me, let me just tell you, we actually do need a win. Uh, we shut. It's Portico after dark, everything was blacked out, we can't fix that. Um, we got here this morning, the sound system isn't working, um, the guy who's running the slides is behind the curtain in a dark area, like... He has no visual cue. So it's just one of those days when we showed up, it ain't working, right? Lord's going to have to do something uh, because we just don't have what we need. Everything with disorienting. And it just reminds me, there's days, there's weeks, there's seasons, there's years, maybe even lifetimes, where you feel like, you know what, I would give anything just to have a win. I just to feel like there's something that I have done that actually mattered, or, or I, I just need a success. Um, you know, we'll look at back this maybe in a couple of years um and Johnny and I and the rest of the staff will laugh at it and we'll say, hey, you remember that day and, you know, this didn't work. And by the, by the time everybody showed up, for the most part, things worked. And we will share in that success and we will laugh about it and we'll remember how the Lord delivered. And that shared success kind of renews the relationship, it kind of renews the relationship between um, us as a worship team and as pastors and as leaders. We enjoy that. We share that success together and it builds one another up. You know that. You have that. I have a friend that calls me once in a while, maybe out of every once or, I don't know, maybe one or two years. And we used to, we fled, flew together. Um, We learned how to fly together. And he's an Italian kid. His name is Giorgio. And one day he was over at my house and all the neighborhood kids came over and they're like, hey, let's play soccer. And I'm like, Giorgio's from Italy. Me and Giorgio versus the whole, like the whole street, the whole city. And, you know, we, we killed him because, Not because of me, but because Giorgio is just a fanatical, good soccer player. But every time we talk, we remember that. Hey, remember when we like just roasted those kids in the neighborhood and they went home crying to their moms and dads because two people just whipped them? It renews our relationship. We share in that success. Victory means something to you. And success means something to you. Um, It matters. Let me just ask you this question. When it comes to your faith how many of you who are believers would say that following jesus has been primarily experience of success and victory how many of you would say that when you think of your faith what it means that you have faith that you're in christ that you believe that you treasure god how many of you say you know what and that has been everything that is, that's been an ongoing experience, not just one time at youth camp, an ongoing experience of success and victory in your life. Okay, well, how many of us would say, you know, actually, following Jesus has been an ongoing series of losses. Renounce the world, uh, kill sin and be alive to God, and on and on, and give your time and your talent and your treasure. What does it feel like to you? That's what I want to know. Does, does following Jesus, does being in Christ feel like a win or a loss to you? Because although John, the beloved disciple who wrote 1 John, and he's, he's older now, he hasn't said much about faith. But now from chapter 5 on, he uses it over and over and over in this chapter 5 times alone. He's been talking about love, he's been talking about obedience, he's been talking about what it means to follow Jesus, but we haven't really seen faith come up. Today it comes up and the context that he uses, like he does everything, he's connecting it back to how we love one another. He's connecting it back to obedience. But what he's telling us is that this is your victory. This is your your success story. He's going to tell you and me that our faith is an experience of success and victory. But as I read this, it seemed trite to me. I'm like, I don't know. I want to believe that. I want to believe that. This is where the text takes us today. It's going to explain to us how our faith experiences victory. You must experience victory and success through your faith, or it's going to be nothing to you. And so so this is where we're going. I'm excited for this. So 1 John uh, chapter 5, 1 through 5. If you're just joining us today and you haven't been here before, we've been going through 1 John. In the last couple of weeks, we've learned this. Uh, We learned what it means to be loved by God, how He fully invests in our life, how he owns everything. And then last week, we learned a little bit about what it's like to love like God, that he desires us not just to be loved by him, but we would be who we're called to be, right? We would be the family of God, and we would love one another sacrificially in the world as well. So let's jump into this, and let's see what it means that our faith is meant to be an experience of success and victory. Here we go. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Dearly Father, we come before you this morning. Why does it feel like there's such a gap between how this statement portrays faith and the experience that we are meant to have in it and how we're feeling about it right now. God, I ask that you would open up your word. I pray that you would allow it to search us, to direct us, to form us. And we take great joy knowing that, Lord Jesus, you are at the right hand of the Father now, even so interceding for us. So we give you this time, and we ask that you would use it in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's an experience of victory. we we got to get there. Faith experiences victory over and over and over. Um, we're going to look at it in a few ways in the text today, but one of the ways is love. What does it mean to be born of God? What does it mean to be loved by Him and also love? So love is a part of it. Also the law. The law feeds back into what it means that your faith is an experience of victory. And and last, and where it should be, is the finish line. When you are in Christ, when you're walking in faith, God puts the finish line in your face so that you can see it. Not just so you run towards it, but so that you can continue to experience it over and over and over. So faith experiences victory. That's a big idea. That's where we're going today. And this is what we want to know. How? Great story. How does that happen? Well, God's word gives us everything that we need. By his spirit, he will teach us. So how does your faith experience victory? Uh, The first way we see in the text is love. Verse one, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, past tense, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. He uses this terminology over and over and over, born of God, born of God, born of him, born of God, nine times in First John. So it matters to him. The truth is this, if we are loving God, we have first been loved by God. And part of what that means is that we have been born of him. We have experienced new life. God has met you in a way that's transformed you um, and changed your life. A lot of times the term, the technical term that we call that is regeneration. It's just a new, It's another way of saying being born again. You have a life that is new. It is something different than what you had before because you met Christ. Jesus says this as well in John 3. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he's talking to Nicodemus You will not see the kingdom of God. It's imperceptible to you unless you are going to trust me and exercise the new life that I have given to you. So first, what does it mean that we're loved by God in this way, that he has given us new life, born of God? Well, here's a few things that John has told us from the text that we've read so far. He explains it. Uh, in chapter 2, he says that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So part of being born of God is that you are practicing righteousness. You're not going to get it right. You're not going to get it perfect, but you have make it a habit. It's something that you want to do. New life compels you to practice righteousness. In chapter 3, verse 9, he says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. So part of, um, this is natural, part of practicing righteousness is abandoning sin. So you have a different relationship there. You don't want that. And lastly, and this is the big one, you embrace Christ. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, has been born of him. Jesus is the one who fulfills the promise. And everyone who believes this and embraces Jesus has no choice but to walk in newness of life. You have no choice. God regenerates you and gives you newness of life. Um, and you receive it, friend. Your faith is nothing more nothing less than an open hand it's not your faith that does the work it feels like that's what it should be but it's not your faith it's god that does the work your faith is an open hand you receive it you receive it you receive it from god so this is what it means that you're born of god in sum here's what it means because it feels abstract already being born of god means you belong to god period that's it this is what god's love does to you it makes you belong to him it makes him your father. He literally fathers you. You have been born of God. And this is expresses itself in faith and repentance in your life. If you have no desire for faith, no desire to walk away from what God is calling you out of into the life he's calling you to, um, that, that it, there's no new life. So God gives this to you. Um, have he, do you remember that movie, The Impossible? Has anybody ever seen that? Okay, well don't worry about it because I'm going to ruin the whole thing for you. It's a great movie. It has Obi-Wan Kenobi in it and Naomi Watts. It's um, Ian McGregor, right? They're on vacation. It's about this um, tidal wave that happened in the Indian Ocean in Thailand, right? Tsunami came through, and it just wiped out a whole coastal area. And the movie, it's a true story. And uh, they were in this, and they had three kids with them. It's, I think it's Christmas Eve, and, and um, Ian Mcgregor's down by the pool with a couple of his kids. And the wife is with the oldest kid, because they have three boys, and they're all young, though. And this tidal wave comes in. Nobody knows about it. And he just washes over this whole coastal village, this vacation village. And what happens is everybody gets separated. I mean, people died, right? By the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. It was an absolute disaster. So the story is about how this family goes about trying to, first of all, um, find one another, and then get reunited. And it's an absolute train wreck. Um, The mom is with the oldest kid, and then they get separated, and she's a doctor, but her legs really hurt, and her chest is torn open, so she's trying to get medical care, and she loses track of her kid. The dad actually sends the two youngest boys on a truck to go into the mountains because they're afraid there's another wave coming, so he loses track of them, and at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, I'm sorry, but you you had your chance, at the end, she's, uh, the mom is in the hospital getting surgery. Uh, the oldest kid figures it out and finds and sees the dad. And the other two kids on the truck end up coming back into town and jump off. And they all find each other together. And there's this, this great reunion scene, right? Can I just ask you a question? This really happened. Do you think that felt like a win for that family? Do you think that that felt like a victory when they were in each other's arms, when the love that they had for each other was real and they were, they were present with one another again, and the disaster that rolled through their lives without any warning was mitigated, do you feel that was that a win for them? See, being born of God, when we exercise faith, that friends, that is a victory. You might have a lot of successes and failures in life, but this is primary. Faith experiences victory in this way. You are loved by God, friend. If you respond to his grace and, and this love, you're, you're, a, you're a new creature. You belong to him. That's a huge victory. Um, and you will love others. There's no way. And when you're loved by God like this, you will love those he loves. You will love other people. You will be compelled to show this to others. Right, you will love God and His children, as it says, and everyone else. This is a win. You need to celebrate this. This needs to hit home for you that you belong to God. Um, let me ask you: You know what this feels like? Let me just tell you: It feels like in your heart of hearts you have a new desire, and this desire maybe doesn't come out the way you want it to all the times, but in your heart of hearts, you want to please God. Something has shifted. You don't always want to do it, and there's conflict, right? I don't do what I want to do always, but in your heart of hearts, you want God to be pleased with your life. Not because you hope he sees you and hopes he saves you. No, because you belong to him. And you know what it means that you're loved by God. And you know what it means that you belong to him through faith. And so your desires change. And this is the second victory we see. Faith experiences victory in your relationship with God's law. Now we know the gospel says that you are not found righteous or right by your obedience to the law. It's Christ's obedience that we get through faith, yes. So there's that, but that's not what I'm talking about. Um, I'm talking about something more insidious. I'm talking about the lie of life. I'm talking about the soundtrack that plays in everybody's head, and let me tell you how it goes. Um, it's the core dynamic of your relationship with God. I don't care who you are, and it's one of restriction. You, and you, you will want to believe, and we become hardwired this way because of our sin nature, that my relationship with God, that dynamic is going to look like a a relationship of restriction. What God is most excited about is telling me, no, do not do this. Do not do that. Do not live like that. And so we believe that God's law produces trauma and kills freedom and takes away my joy and my happiness. I sat in my office once and had somebody tell me this to my face. I'm leaving your church and the faith because I just I just believe that God's taking away my happiness and I need to live how I need to live. This doesn't leave as a Christian. It, it, it doesn't own the throne of your heart, but it floats around you and you get discipled by culture to, to believe that that's true. Let me read you something out of Genesis chapter 2, the creation account, and I'm going, I'm going to ask you a question about it. And It says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Quote, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat it. It'll kill you. What is the first thing that God says? What is it? No. He doesn't say no, does he? It's all yours. You can eat of everything. Everything you see it, you like it, eat it. Hey, work and keep. Work and keep the garden. Be fruitful. Have dominion. Extend the borders of Eden. Finish what I started. Trust me. But don't define good for yourself. Let me do that. I'm your God. You worship me. You can't handle it. You're not going to be God here. We we read that sentence, and you know what we pick up on? You may not. You may not. And you have believed that's the dynamic of your relationship with God and His law. I mean, Satan is is brilliant at this. Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Because, I mean, what kind of a loving father would do that? I don't know. It's weird. Maybe you should define good for yourself. This is the lie of life. It swims in your head. We believe that our relationship with God and his law is based on restriction. And it's better if, honestly, I can trust myself better than God. I know what's best for me. Uh, the world works this idea over and over and over. It is seducing, right? Um, that is not your relationship to God's law. See, in Christ, as we are born of God, right? Right? Faith experiences this victory. God's law moves from being a burden of oppression to blessing. You believe that? It does. God's law moves from being something that I hate, some arbitrary rules that God gave me so that he can have one over on me, to blessing, to something I want to do. I want to love God and other people. I want to live my life in a way that he enjoys. Verse three, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. You know, that word really means oppression. His burden, his law is going to be one of two things to you. Something that you hate, that you feel like his, his foot is on your neck or it's going to be a blessing. I want to do this. There's no middle ground. Let me ask you this, the Super Bowl is coming up. Now we all know that in the last four minutes, Tom Brady will win the Super Bowl. So just get over it, all you Rams fans. It's going to happen, right? Maybe not. There's hope. Everybody that's going to the Super Bowl, these NFL athletes, they're professional athletes. They, I mean, I used to play football, right? Wind sprints, two-a-days. I actually hated it. But... Do you think that they feel like showing up for practice, reading the playbook, spending twelve to fourteen hours a day studying the other team in the films? Do you feel like they feel like some, do you think that they, they see that as just totally oppression? I just can't stand this. No, they love it. You know why? Because they love football. And they love what they're doing. It's not oppressive to them, it's not a burden to them. That's who they are. When you're born of God, his law becomes delight. This just how the psalms start out. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Jesus throws this out. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. There's no safety out of making it up on your own. No love-trust relationship says, well, I'm going to do what I want, you do what you want, and we'll see each other when we see each other. And no, that doesn't work. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus gives us the example and then empowers us by the Spirit of God to not only understand what he's saying, but to want to live by that and to be able to to have the power to do that. faith—that That is a victory. I, I need to tell you that. That is a victory that your faith gives you. You can get it no other way. Let me tell you where God's going with this. The prophet Jeremiah wrote about it. You have it now, but you're going to have it perfectly in the new Jerusalem and the new heaven and the earth. He says, I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And here's the thesis of the entire Bible: and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And I'll dwell with them. God's going to write His law on your what law? He's probably referencing His moral law. As it was, the law was put on stone. But as Israel walked out the relationship with God, their hearts became stone. And they would obey him, but they didn't love him. Listen, in Christ, friend, you can love his law. You can delight in him. You can trust him. Only faith experiences this victory. Um, there's, I love the gospel. I love the way we teach it. I love... Churches like us that take it seriously, but let me tell you a big danger in a church like ours. I heard this example from a professor, and it's really true. We will tell you things like, you know what? You robbed a bank last week. Do you think God's, and you're a Christian, but you made a huge mistake. Does God not love you anymore? Of course, God loves you. He loves you the same that He loved you the week before when you were, you know, working at the soup kitchen and doing everything He called you to do. Yes. But here's what I here's where I'm afraid that we're going with this. We see God as some overly medicated just despondent father figure who has this perma smile on his face and it doesn't matter what you do he never says anything because you're a christian he never confronts you he's never unhappy he just looks at you and smiles and it doesn't really matter what you do because all has been forgiven so just silently walk away and live how you want that ain't love friend and if you've ever had a kid and you deal with him that way you'll hurt him badly No, you are seen by God. He does see you. He does see you. And he doesn't smile on disobedience. He doesn't. Yes, our sin is forgiven. Yes, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That is absolutely true. That belongs to us. But faith experiences victory in this way law is no longer a burden it's a blessing and the reason it's a blessing is because christ has fulfilled it and it's no longer our path to righteousness it's our path to joy and god has given us that faith experiences victory and lastly in this way um you see the finish line faith gets you there and that is the ultimate success verse four for everyone who has been born of god overcomes the world do you hear that Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And then he asked the rhetorical question, who is it that overcomes? Oh, those who have faith, those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So what does it mean to overcome? We need to understand that because a lot of times uh, we will just fill in the blank. Here's what overcome doesn't mean. and I I don't mean this in a snarky way, it doesn't mean if you're a good person and you do good things, God is going to make your dreams come true. Hey, that might be true, and that might be your experience, and hallelujah, I I pray the best for you. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about overcoming the world. He's talking about overcoming this deep-seated suspicion that you have That trusting in God for your life, for defining good for you, handing your life to him, and walking that path in faith is dangerous and the path to misery. We are to overcome the world. Now that Greek word is nike. You know how you spell it in the English? N-I-K-E. Nike. That's the image of success. the shwoosh. It means I win. I'm successful. I've got it together. Hey, we love images of success in our culture. Overcome. Here's what it means. It means if you depend on God, maybe better as we depend on God and endure by his strength, God's purpose and his plan for your life is absolutely unmovable. In fact, it's already happened. You overcome sin by the power of Christ, spiritual enemies, death, all of it. But let me tell you, it implies conflict and it implies war. See, being born of God absolutely assures that you overcome. Absolutely assures. Is that a victory to you? How do you overcome It says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It basically says, this is the victorious power that gives you the win, your faith. We're not stupid. We commit ourselves to things where we have the ability and the power to succeed. You'd be foolish not to. Nobody wants to lose. He's saying, here is the weapon that you wield your faith. Unchecked power. Here's the victory that you have, the only real power that you have, and it's an overwhelming power. It, it has victory like water defeats a desert. It's full. It's final. So how does your faith, how does our faith overcome the world? Well, for, first and foremost, this. It unites you to the victor. If you want to win, if you want to overcome You must unite yourself to the victor. That is Christ. That is the Messiah, the one who brings forward the promise. This is God the Son. If you were united to him through faith, you will finish. This is what he's telling us. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So faith is holding on to the one who has crossed the finish line and who will get you there. This is what your faith does, and where you're going to see it is in suffering. Following Jesus is easy when you don't need him. Faith is easy when it's cheap. Faith is easy when there's no cost of discipleship. But when there's a cost, when you suffer, when God asks you to do something that isn't what you want to do, This is where you see the power of God either walk away from you because you won't trust him or explode in your life because you're ready to trust him. That's where the victory is and it's going to be by God's power through Christ's finished work. So, faith experiences victory as we look at the finish line. Can we just do that for a second? I want you to see it. I want you to see the finish line. Jesus specifically promised some things to us And he uses the same word to those who overcome, to those who conquer. It's in Revelation, written by the same man, John. Here's some things that are true of your life right now. You will eat of the tree of life, Revelation 2.7. There's a life waiting for you with unrestricted access to God before his face. Eternal, glorified, no pain. You will be unharmed by the second death. These are promises for those that conquer. Why? Because Jesus took it. He felt the weight of it. You're not going to feel it. You're given a new name. This is weird to me. We're given a white rock with a new name. Nobody's going to know it but you. Do you think you have an intimate relationship with God? Do you think he sees you? Do you think he knows what you're afraid of and where you need help, where you need strength? He's going to actually give you a name. And I'm going to speculate that it's based on our time here and how we trust him. Also, you have authority over the nations. You'll be clothed in white garments. That's the righteousness of Christ. You'll be made a permanent pillar in the house of God. You will never feel out of place. And you will never be out of place. You'll be with him and you will belong. And finally, he says, you'll sit with him on his throne to those that overcome, to those that conquer. This is your future and you're living right now like you've already lost. We are called to experience a victory through our faith. So where, where are you seeking success? Where are you finding the power to live? Where are you finding victory? What gets you through the day? What gets you through the night? It's got to be here. It's got to be here. Um, I read a book to my granddaughter this week. She's three, and she's, I don't even have a word. Help me out. She's um, she's just amazing. I'm going to say that. She's very vibrant. She's vibrant. And she came into my office at six o'clock in the morning. I was trying to get some like, you know, me time. She comes in. She's like, hey, Bappy, let's read? Okay. She gets me these books, these kids' books. And I think they're Christian kids' books that we have, little ones. And so I read her this one. And it was like, it was one of those Christian kids' books. And it's great. You know, it shows Jesus. He's like, He's in a terry cloth white robe with a feathered hair and all that. And I, I get it. And he's, he's doing good. He's healing people. And it's, it's a good story about Jesus. And you know what the last page says? And then he died. <laughs> and I'm turning the page. Is something ripped out of here? And I'm, I'm discipling my granddaughter, so I'm counting on this. She's like, okay, let's do another one. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, we're going to rip this book in half. Like, this is the worst book you've ever read. Do you know what they just did? They turned Jesus into a moral example. Hey, love like him. Do it right and you're going to win. There is no success in that gospel. They took out the resurrection. I don't get it. I don't get it. We threw it away. That is not the gospel, my dear. You will never win. Find your victory in this. Christ has risen. Right, He has overcome sin, Satan, death, evil, pain. There's no way out of this world but in him. So where are you finding it? Listen, do you know how Jesus died? He died on a Roman cross. That We don't do that anymore. So it means almost nothing to us. This was the biggest... <laughs> In the Greco-Roman culture, the worst thing that you could do is be seen as weak. We don't have that in our culture now, but strength was how you were honored. Jesus died guilty, shamed, naked, publicly, outside the city. He was jeered. It is the worst public display of shaming you'll ever have. He took that on. That... This is, this is what's ironic. Our strength and our victory is in the worst, worst thing of defeat you're ever going to see. He took on your worst day. He experienced it. He took everybody of your shame. He took everybody of your sin and he swallowed it. And he walked out in confidence three days later. The ultimate symbol of public defeat became the biggest win in human history. You can have that today. You can experience that. Trust Him. Give Him your life. Faith experiences victory. There's no other way to it. Experience God's love. Experience His law in a new way. You will live to love Him. And you get the finish line now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that our victory is not dependent on our own abilities, on our ability to seek you correctly, our abilities to live a life that pleases you, that our success in life is one hundred percent dependent on receiving, receiving God from you, a new record that is wiped clean, a new life. But you don't wipe us away, Lord. You love us. You give us the ability to please you. Lord Jesus, let this become real to us. Let us walk in this victory. Let us find our success here in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray all of this. Amen.